Welcome to our social landscape. I'm J.R. Woodward, and I'm joined by Rob Garza of the Thievery Corporation. For almost 30 years, Rob Garza has been making music, both with the Thievery Corporation as well as a few solo projects that incorporate styles from around the world. Their music has variously been called trip-hop, lounge, down-tempo electronica, but it brings in bossa nova, Middle Eastern music, reggae, and jazz. It's truly world music. And he's a world-renowned DJ, he's an entrepreneur, he's simply someone who has a wealth of cultural capital. So we started with a little bit about his background and then moved on to a discussion of what Thievery Corporation's music might have to say about the world. We also talked a little bit about art as a form of social expression, and we finished with his thoughts on our nation's current path. We are here to speak to the world tonight and today and every day. So if you wouldn't mind, maybe um, just kind of walk me briefly through your background and your bio, like what brought you into this particular area of art? Yeah, since I was a uh, little kid, you know, my father would always bring home records when I was a kid. And I just remember, you know, just being sort of enthralled, listening to the Beatles or Harry Belafonte or the Drifters or Roy Orbison or things like that. And it was yeah. just a spectrum of music listening in my home and then uh, as I was 10 about 10 or 12 years old I started getting into new wave music okay you know hearing the synthesizer and it sounded so otherworldly and really cool and it sounded like the future and I was just really infatuated with that kind of sound um, I grew up in a very rural town in Maryland and my family moved to Connecticut when I was 14 and as an elective in high school, so I was in ninth grade, this would have been like about 1983 or so. Okay. They had a class and it had, they had synthesizers, drum machines, sequencers, reel-to-reel tape decks, all these modular synths, things okay. like that. And so I started playing around with all this gear and equipment and I fell in love with it. And at that time, I remember, you know, my parents and my peers just being like, what is electronic music? You know, it made no sense. Nobody ever thought there'd be, you know, real, any kind of thing involving electronic music. It was so foreign. And I just, you know, started buying equipment and gear and synths and drum machines and started messing around with it. And then um, my family moved back down to uh, D.C. area. Probably when I was about 25, I met Eric Hilton, who's my partner at Thievery Corporation. And he was doing some music at the time, and we decided to put our gear together and see if we could do something. Because back then, you know, you needed, that's the way a lot of bands and things started back in the day. You needed more than one person who has something, like one person yeah. has a drum set, another person has a guitar, and then you guys get together and kind of, you know, build it that way. So I had a, a synthesizer and a drum machine, and he had a sampler keyboard sampler and we decided to put it together and we just started I think the first day we got together we wrote we wrote two songs 
from then on, you know, the, the rest of our history was very prolific. Uh, we started a studio and club called 18th Street Lounge that Eric owned with some partners. And uh, we set up shop in the, the liquor room, started making beats there and uh, putting out vinyl and things like that. And people were calling us from England and Germany wanting to know who we were and what we were about and to get more of our music. And, um, you know, so I was about 25 and I quit my day job and for the majority of my life. Yeah, you jumped in. Sounds like you were prolific from the get-go. Two songs and the first time y'all got together. <laughs> That's pretty, yeah. pretty successful. Uh, and your yeah. mom uh, is of Mexican descent. Is that right? That's did, right. Did you spend any time there growing up, or were you close to that culture? Yeah, I was. So uh, she was born in Chihuahua and uh, northern Mexico. So I had a lot of family up there and in Juarez, and so I spent a lot of time there as a kid. And, you know, just hearing music that was exotic, I think, to most people kind of opened my ears, you know, because yeah. it's yeah. too regular pop music, but mm-hmm. all different types of sounds. And I think yeah. that did a big impact on my ability to listen to different styles of music. Yeah, that's that leads me to my next question. I was going to ask it anyways, is that I think something um, first-time listeners of Thievery Corporation might be um, – I guess would notice the diversity of styles, musical styles, and you know, Brazil, the Middle East, the islands. You know, there's so much there, and I, I was wondering if, um, you know, does your interest in music from various parts of the world strictly stay with music, or does it also include an interest in that culture's politics and social world and all other kinds of elements of the society, or is it mostly? the music itself as opposed to how those people in the world view things and how you might view those folks? Well, I'm very interested in the world and what's happening. And, um, you know, that's something that I just tend to constantly be looking at. So there is that. But I think, you know, primarily when we started, it was more really about the music, you know, and when you get those pieces of vinyl, I mean, you have to remember when we started, there wasn't the internet yet. And, uh, you know, with, uh, you know, pieces of music, they're like letting you know that there's other people out there that exist like you and mm-hmm. people from different parts of the globe and, and uh, creating this cool music. And, you know, we wanted to find a way to amalgamate all of that into something that was electronic and that wasn't really being done at that time. Mm-hmm. And the way that we can do it. So, you know, taking all these different genres of music and, you know, we did it because we just fell in love with the, the beauty of, of the songs and the sonic quality and things like that. And so it really stemmed from that. Okay. But, also, you know, being from Washington, D.C., it's like we were very aware of things like, you know, the World Bank and how they can go into places and, all the you know resources and sell them back to the same people at higher prices and things like that. So, right. it was sort of this um, element of punk rock music that we loved. You know, when it mm-hmm. speaking up against the system and things like that. So, you know, if you look at songs that we have, uh, like Vampires, the song we did with Femi Kuki from Nigeria, it's all about the island and the World Bank. Yeah. And, you know, yep. 
Yeah. Um, and that's that makes me think of a couple things because um, I just recently interviewed Jason Williamson of the Sleaford Mods, a British punk duo. And, know that. Okay. And I know their music. Yeah, that he was a super guy. He was just really, really thoughtful, intelligent dude. You know, he's just just really cool to talk to. And he, uh, we talked a little bit about reggae because he's not a big reggae fan, but you can find the same elements of, you know, disenfranchisement and rebellion and reggae and in, and in punk. You know, and I, I grew up uh, probably about your age. I went to high school at eighty three. Grad, I'm 50, just turned fifty three this summer, and in my neighborhood, I grew up listening to reggae and surfing. But other right. kids, other kids were skating and listening to punk, you know. And so there's, I think there's a lot of an, an overlap there too. And you've worked with a lot of reggae people as well. So it's almost like you've read my notes because that's you led me right into the next question. And if you if you bear with me just for a second to back up and explain where this question comes from. So um, I I've told a friend of mine who's interested in your music that well, I was going to do this talk with you and with this series I'm doing on society and music and politics. And she viewed the band as more of a dance uh, band, a lounge band. She didn't really see the politics part of it as much. Mm-hmm. And it's true, a lot of Thievery Corporation songs do invite people to dance, but they also invite people to think and think about social issues. And so um, I started making a quick list just off the top of my head, Culture of Fear, Revolution, Solution, and Merrimacka, State of the Union, Retaliation Suite, which interestingly even has a spoken quote from Fred Hampton, the Black Panther Party guy assassinated by the Chicago police and the FBI back in 69. So um, I looked I looked in allmusic.com, and when they talked about the band, they had political in there a couple times they wrote a number of things so when people i've talked to two or three people when i ask them what they like about the thievery corporation that's not the first thing that comes to mind is the political statements but a good number of your songs do make statements about the power powerful people powerless people so do you view the van the band excuse me do you view the band as a vehicle for making social statements like that um or is it more of just again the sounds that brought you to it originally still kind of dominate the Thievery Corporation? Well, you know, we've always done this independently. We were an independent label, and I felt that we had the freedom to do whatever we wanted, and we didn't have to listen to a major label or anyone telling us that we're too political or we're too anything. So I think it's just what naturally interested us. Um, we were like, uh, you know, constantly just reading the news and kind of, you know, looking under the rug of society. And for us, that's a a very fascinating place to look. And if you're an artist, you have time to do that. You know, you're not going to your nine to five job and then you're tired at the end of the day. So you just want to zone out and watch Netflix. You know, we're (laughs) just like, you know, very curious about like, you know, what's happening underneath the surface. And so, with uh, our music, I think that it, it's almost like an onion in a sense that you can peel away different layers. So for a lot of people, it's just, like, oh, it's a dance electronic or it's just chill or what, however yeah. they think of it. And then if you peel down another layer, you, you know, you can find some uh, more political, sociological messages within the music. For sure. Talking to a journalist the other day from Iran and, you know, at one point she wasn't even aware that we had songs in Farsi. Oh, wow. Language from Iran. And, you know, at that time, I think it was really interesting for us and cool to have a song and, you know, from an Iranian singer. Right. 
when you know you had George Bush at the time talking about the axis of evil and Iran, uh, evil empire, and all this type of thing, and, and showing like a human face mm-hmm. of a Persian culture, right? Um, right. Yeah. And but in a way, it's being rebellious. But you know, people who listen to that song, they might just say, you know, that's just a, a very pretty, beautiful, mm-hmm. flow, poetic song or whatever, and not have any what's being said or what the culture is or anything. Right. And I kind of like one of uh, the best ways to be subversive or spread messages is to kind of actually do it very subtly and mm-hmm. and like have it kind of you know seep into people's ears and yeah some songs like this playing in hotel lobbies or right. hairdressers things yeah. like that yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah like yeah. Uh, the power structure and things like that so it's kind yeah. of a, interesting way to go about it i guess yeah the 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 anti-sleaford mods approach (laughs) just kind of the shouting angry man Uh, another person i talked to as kind of an aside but was a guy named tommy guerrero he's a musician but also a skateboarder and whatnot and he's got a lot of political movements about him but most of his songs are instrumental and so yeah. we had a little talk about, you know, how do you, because he, he still sees it as political and making statements, but just without, you know, without the amount of words. And so that was a pretty interesting way to view it, too. Yeah, we, have, um, we, have a, we have an instrumental song called Tower 7, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Tower 7. Yeah, I know that song. Uh, yeah, it's funny. I like a lot of the instrumental songs, and I still, I don't view them as devoid of talking about important things, just the sound of it alone. Like the Glass and Bead game, for example, still has a way about it to me that is, uh, has an intensity and it's making a social statement, even though, you know, there's no, there's no lyrics in it. Um, there's a survey I asked, I've read a couple years ago, and I asked my students in my social problems class, and it says, um, do you feel things in this country are generally going in the right direction, or do you feel things have pretty seriously gotten off on the wrong track? And nationally, and in my classes, a lot more people say gotten off on the wrong track. So I'm not sure uh, what social markers would be important to you, uh, you know, or your measuring stick. But what would you say to an answer to that question? Like, what would you say is the state of the union, and do you think um, your art has any any bearing on that? I would say that it's kind of going on the wrong track at the moment. You know, there's so much divisiveness and micro division being, you know, people uh, being fermented in this country to a point where people can't really talk to each other or, you know, if has any opinion on, from some side that's not your side, then it's just discounted. So, you know, with, with that lack of communication, it's hard to see things getting better um, in the near term. You know, I think things will be worse if they get better for a minute. But, you know, uh, for me, that's a, a measuring stick of our society. Is, you know, nobody wants to hear anything unless it's from your team or whatever. Right. right. And that's yeah. gotten worse, you think, over the years? That's gotten worse, probably? I think so. I feel yeah. like it has. 
You know, you put, your, you put your finger on why. Do you have a theory of why it's gotten to the point where it is? It started before Trump. I'm sure. I'm sure Trump exacerbated it, but it probably started before Trump. Well, you know, and it's like you know, Trump isn't my guy or anything like that at all. You know, but I think that you know people have been getting frustrated with sort of the the big corporatism that exists in this country and people being bailed out all the time that are you know part of these big corporations so you have people are frustrated and then they see somebody like trump come along who's just being you know a a populist and and uh kind of just saying things even though he has no connection with people from that strata of society you know but he's sort of like you know he's right for for people's feelings of you know being disaffected by our culture everything like that so um that was you know a huge thing that i think created a big divide within the the country yeah i mean he was probably the best thing too for corporate news Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. and then so they love to stir up the pot as well and for sure and then you know it's just like I, i feel like right now we can't even like really agree on what is reality and what is truth and things like that. So how are we ever going to come together as a society when, you know, mm-hmm. one household, you can have five different versions of what people think even reality is like, you know, so where, where do we go from there and how do we go yeah. to the steps? Yeah. Well, have you had, have you had a, a magic bullet um, where you could choose one thing that you think would get us back on the right track nationally, just to stick to the nation for now. But if you want to expand it, I guess we can. But um, what would be, you know, like your ideal situation? What do you think if you could choose anything to start? Like where would we start? Probably destroy the internet. <laughs> oh, that's not going to happen anytime soon. And then not as many people would be able to hear your music. <laughs> I know, I know. Well, people used to listen to music and people used to a lot of things before the internet but like uh you know yeah invent a time machine and have the internet never have happened you know but it's like you know we also exist in a world where we're like you know we we said a lot of things in the past but now it's like kind of if you say anything people are just ready to crush you no matter like so i feel like people have a a hard time wanting to be their authentic selves right Mm -hmm. now culture that's just ready to as soon as you pop your head out you end up pointing your gun at you like a target like bam bam so and that doesn't create great environments for people to communicate as well you know right yeah communication is terrible it seems like it's really difficult you know so far apart uh yeah. the sides and it's i don't know i don't have the answer either you know i just I want to talk, trying to talk to people um to get their their views on how to fix it but i think we can agree on the problem but the solution is is more difficult and the reason i started to interview artists um, was i came across a joni mitchell quote and i read it during COVID. i don't remember when she said it but she said when the world becomes a massive mess with nobody at the helm it's time for artists to make their mark mm-hmm. and then there's nina simone the singer said an artist's duty is to reflect the times and there's a difference between reflect you know, and create the times. Um, do you agree with either of those positions? Uh, you know, what role generally do you think art can serve in times like this of either protest or reconciliation? Or is it time for artists to maybe take those steps and start to lead lead people down a more a more productive path? 
Well, I agree with those quotes. I think that, uh, you know, reflecting the society is a good way of making people aware of what's really happening. You know, um, I think, you know, the problem is, is we're so splintered into our own individual worlds and stuff. And so it's an interesting question because now, I mean, you know, especially when you had artists at that level, mm-hmm. um, you know, now we exist in the world where this, you know, I mean, I think there's like 60,000 songs being released on Spotify every day or some kind of number wow. like that. No kidding. So what does that say for anybody's attention to exist for even five seconds when you look at TikTok generation and things like that? So, sure. so it's hard for uh, me to imagine the same environment where you had people like Nina Simone or Joni Mitchell, where people actually listened to a full song and took in a full message. Yeah. You know, nowadays it'd be like, oh, Joni Mitchell is on TikTok, scroll up, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Or a whole album, even even more, like never now, right? You know, but like an album could tell a story when you sewed it all together back in the day, you know, but long gone. Yeah, that's long gone. So as hopeful as I am for, um, that to exist and you know it's something that i would definitely want to be a part of and hope that i've been a part of to 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 mirror society and to you know speak about things that are happening in this world a huge issue is attention spans and the way that we consume culture and truth and all these things yeah yeah i like that the idea of it though because um you know, we used to talk in sociology as this debate about if you really want to change society, do you change it culturally, economically, or politically, if you had to choose those three. And I was kind of trained in a program where economics, you focus on economics, economics. But then I read a poet named Alex Caldero say something like, artists always have to lead that charge because art produces empathy, and empathy is a way to get pe- to reach people and to have them want to make a change. And so cultural uh, social change needs to go through culture first and you know it's it's we could debate it as long as you want but it is kind of a compelling notion that um reaching people on that that emotional level through culture maybe that is the first step and then that influences people and they vote and then there's more equality economically who who knows which comes first i love that you know but you know how does art relate now to the algorithm, you know, like in terms of like what's being pushed out on people, you know, like a lot right. of people who do have something to say, uh, get buried by, you know, sort of that mainstream. Right. Right. Uh, sort of mindless algorithm, which, which is sad, you know, and it's mm-hmm. sort of, you're sort of at the mercy of, you know, sometimes these tech companies and things like that. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was saying maybe maybe we could have hope because there's so many different ways now to get your music out there that maybe people can start to avoid the big, you know, powerful companies that are going to try to be gatekeepers, you know. But, you know, like when we were growing up, there's, what, three fucking TV stations like CBS, NBC, and that was it, you know. Now there's so many different ways to consume media like maybe more subversive voices can start getting in there. I don't know. We'll see. That's, that's the wish. You know, yeah, and wish. I am uh, optimistic, even though, you know, you are. I, I'm realistic at the same time, but you know, there's always a, a, a hope of, uh, you know, and a hint of optimism. What so. gives you that optimism? Do you see it? Do you see things happening that give you that hint or are you just holding on blindly and hoping? Well, I think that probably when you look at things that were happening in different time periods of the world, like, you know, in the 
the Black Death was happening in Europe was probably a pretty dismal time or two, you know, with, and, and uh, you know, the atomic bombs in Japan being dropped. And, you know, that probably seemed like a time you wouldn't want to have again. <laughs> about the future, you know, but people somehow, you know, managed to yeah. get through time insurmountable in some regard. Yeah. All right. You've been listening to an interview with Rob Garza, and I hope you enjoyed our conversation. If you did, please take a minute to follow, like, rate, and share the podcast in all the usual places. I want to thank Rob for his time and Lisa Velasquez for passing on my interview request. I wish I could have spoken with him a little longer. There were a few questions I had to leave on the table because he was on a tight schedule, but it's clear that we just scratched the surface over these 30 minutes. Maybe one day we'll have the chance to speak again and go into a little more detail. I'd love to hear your thoughts on the interview, and I'll remind you that one of the purposes of this blog is to engage in public sociology, which tries to bring academic discussions out to the streets. So please feel free to sign up for the blog and become a member, which simply entails creating a username and password, and then you can comment after each post. At the very least, please feel free to email me your comments, and I'll be sure to respond. Finally, the podcast included the Thievey Corporation songs Closer to God, The Glass and Bead Game, and La Force de Melody. And if you're feeling so inclined, you can push the yellow donate button on the homepage. If you have any questions or comments, you can email me at jr at our Thanks for listening.